Barbara Rainey says there's a lesson that every couple needs to learn really early in their marriage. And the lesson is this. You can't do this on your own. The bottom line is going to be the same for the rest of your life. And that is when God brings you to a place that you realize you cannot do this thing called marriage. You can't do this thing called mothering. You can't even do the Christian life on your own. That you come to Him and you say, I give up. I surrender. Your will, not mine. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll find out today just how important it is to have a spiritual foundation poured in your marriage if you're going to try to build a home on top of it. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. I'm curious, did you think when you and Barbara in the summer of 1972, I guess September of 72, late summer, right? Right, right. That's when the two of you stood and faced one another and said your vows. It was still summer in Houston. Did you think this is going to be a breeze? Or did you think, I know there'll be some challenges? I just didn't think. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I was in love. I was committed. And I was ready to get on with life with my new bride and my new love. And, And honestly, I didn't do a lot of cost counting, but I did make a commitment I do remember at some of our pre-marriage counseling, which was rather brief because we were only engaged for six weeks. <laughs> our friend Don Meredith looked us in the eye and said, uh, you just need to understand you're not marrying the perfect person. You're really marrying somebody who's a potential liar, thief, adulterer, or adulteress. And that was kind of a wake-up call. It's kind of like, yeah, I know those things exist, but really— but not Barbara. Well, well, really, you know, you tend to idealize the other person because right. you're going out on dates, and you're having fun together, and at the end of the day, you take the other person home. If you have a bad day, maybe you cancel the date, <laughs> you know? But in marriage, <laughs> yeah. it's just right there, you take you know? them home, and you you're, stay at the same stay place. There, you know? We heard your wife laugh as uh, as you said, I wasn't really thinking. Barbara, <laughs> welcome to Family Life were Today. You thinking, Thank you. Were you thinking, Barbara? Not much more than you were. Were you confident? Did yeah, you Did really you start was. marriage thinking, I can do this? Yeah, I really did because I... I had grown up in a good home. My parents were not divorced. I had seen them work out their marriage. And, you know, though there were things that I wanted to do differently, I felt like I could do this. And added to that, I was doubly confident because I was a Christian, and my husband was, and we were not just pew warmers. We were committed Christ followers, and I thought, this is guaranteed to work because we've got the right ingredients. We love each other. We love the Lord. We are going to uh, do this the right way. We're going to follow the instructions in the Bible, and A plus B equals C, and we're gonna ha- it's going to work out great. And, you know, so many couples have that preconception when they yeah. get married. Because we love Christ and because we love one another, mm-hmm. this is going to be easy, and we can do it. I think, exactly. I think something was different back then when we got married than what's happening today. For the most part, marriage as an institution was still pretty much intact, and divorce was not commonplace. 
divorce was coming onto the scene, but we did not have a culture of divorce in 1972. Some of the rumblings were being felt, but today when couples stand before a pastor or the the justice of the peace and make a commitment, man, they're coming out with all kinds of baggage and issues and a culture surrounding them that doesn't expect the marriage Mm -hmm. to go the distance. Mm -hmm. So I I think couples today uh, start out a bit different than we did back then. Well, and the reason we're exploring this is because you've been spending a lot of time recently working on editing a series of letters, actually emails that, Mm -hmm. that grew into letters, letters that you've written over the years to your daughters and your daughters in law, where you've just offered counsel from your own life and experience about getting married. Yeah, I started writing this series of letters the summer that both of our sons got married, and it wasn't so much that I wanted to teach them, and I was invited to do so, by the way. I didn't do this without an invitation, but um, it was that I wanted to encourage them by sharing some of the stories of things that I had learned so that they would know that, oh, it's normal to have disagreements. Oh, it's normal for this to happen or that to happen, so that they would understand the long view of marriage and the big picture of marriage. And one of the things that had occurred in our marriage that I think really pointed out the importance of perhaps Barbara doing this, early in our marriage, she had kind of run into the differences between us and and how that was impacting her. And someone told us, and I don't remember who, but said, you really ought to go spend some time with an older woman who has experienced more of life and been around the barn a few more times than you have. And just to spend some time and to know that what you're going through is normal. Mm -hmm. And I think couples start out their marriage together and they get isolated. And they don't realize that what they're going through is what everybody else is dealing with. But if they have someone who's seasoned, who's authentic and not going to create some kind of pie-in-the-sky approach that's A plus B equals C, and you're going to have all your problems solved by uh, sundown tonight. If you got somebody who's real and helps you understand that it takes a lifetime to work out this thing called marriage, well, that's what really fueled Barbara in writing our daughters and our daughters-in-law to um, be able to enter into these first months and years of their marriage. Well, it's one of the reasons why, as our team began to explore the idea of online anonymous e-mentoring, you said that's something we need to be doing as a ministry to give folks who don't have an older woman across the street that they can go talk to a place where they can connect and get that kind of counsel. Years ago, Bob, there was an advertisement in the paper. Now, this was before the Internet had been created, and the advertisement read, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without interruption for $5. And the person who put that advertisement in the classified section of the newspaper was overwhelmed with phone calls of people who just needed to connect with another person. Mm. I think Facebook, I think texting, I think to some degree emails are all an expression of people wanting to connect in uh, in today's culture. And what we created, as you said, was e-mentoring, which equips a mentor to be able to take on some of the practical issues of life issues like we're talking about here, of differences, maybe more serious issues like adultery or pornography. People need to talk to other people. It's why we went to work to create an online platform where both people who needed to be mentored 
and people who could mentor them and connect with them in an anonymous fashion where it's safe and secure and people are not at risk, but where people could find answers from the Bible that are authentic. And I think that's what Barbara wanted to do in her book, and I think it's what we've done through our e-mentoring platform. Well, we've got information on our website at familylifetoday.com about e-mentoring, especially for those who are interested in being trained as e-mentors. We we really need folks to help us out in that area because we're hearing from a lot of folks who would like some mentoring. We do. We're being overwhelmed with the number of people who need to be mentored. And if I'm talking to somebody who has a life skill in being a wife, being a mom, maybe helping uh, someone who may be across the country or on the other side of the world. You have no idea who you're going to mentor when you enter into this platform, but it's safe, it's secure, and we'll train you in a fast and effective method to equip you to be a better mentor. Well, and Barbara, one of the issues you felt like you needed to mentor your daughters and daughters-in-law in was this issue that we've talked about, your confidence that you could be the wife and mom that God called you to be, that at some point along the way, you kind of woke up and went, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and I think that realization was an ongoing realization. And what I've what I've realized as I look back over my life is that along the way from those early months of our marriage, all the way up until the present, God has been saying to me over and over again, you can't do this on your own. Now, my initial response is, oh, yeah, I can. Because I've got, especially in the early years, a lot of motivation, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm to really do a good job being a wife. And most young women start out that way. Most new brides start out that way. We're highly motivated, highly teachable, energetic, ready to go and be the best we can be. But God knows that if we really are able to produce on our own, then our confidence is in ourselves and not in Him. And so in this section of the book, I tell lots of stories about how God took me places where I realized I could not do it on my own, and I could not garner up enough strength on my own to see the situation through. The book you're talking about, of course, is called Letters to My Daughters. It's your brand new book. The subtitle is The Art of Being a Wife. Barbara Rainey is joining us on Family Life today. And Barbara, you started marriage as a committed follower of Christ. You were involved in ministry. But there were cracks in your spiritual foundation that started to show up under the pressure of marriage. Mm -hmm, They did. And I first felt it most dramatically after our first child was born. We had moved for probably the fourth or fifth time. I can't remember. We'd moved a bunch in those first two and a half years of marriage. And I remember one day just feeling really overwhelmed with these jobs I had. I was a wife and I was a mother and it was 24-7. And our new little baby didn't come with an instruction manual. And I didn't know what I was doing. And we lived in California and my mother was in Texas. And so it's not like I could call her every day or I could go visit her or she could come over in the afternoon and babysit so I could take a nap. I mean, I was really very, very lonely. I was very isolated, and I was very bewildered as to how to make this thing work. How do I do this wifing and mothering thing 
without any instructions. And I, I really remember feeling a sense of um, real aloneness in that season of my life. And I, I tell a story in the book. Would you like to hear it about how I ran away? You ran away? I ran away. <laughs> it, wa- I didn't, it wasn't far, it but wasn't she did far. run away. No, it wasn't far. But I had this—it really is what it was, though. I wouldn't have even said so at the time. But looking back on it, it really is a good expression of what I was feeling. I went out of just sheer frustration. I wasn't really angry. I was just bewildered. And I, I left Ashley sleeping in the crib, or maybe she was in the— infant seat or something in the living room, and I don't even know what Dennis was doing, but I all I remember is that I went into the bathroom in our bedroom, our master bathroom, and shut and locked the door. And it was a teeny little master bathroom. <laughs> it had a tub and a toilet and a little tiny counter with a sink in the middle. And I sat on the toilet, and then I got uncomfortable, and I sat on the side of the tub, and then that got uncomfortable. And so I sat on the toilet again, And the walls started to kind of close in on me, and I thought, well, now what do I do? And I was just absolutely lost because I didn't know how to—I just didn't know how to do this thing. So finally, I came out, and thankfully, my husband, in his love for me, did not go, what an idiot you were. What were you thinking, you know, going in the bathroom and locking the door? What was the point of that? I mean, he didn't belittle me. He didn't make fun of me. He didn't criticize me. He, I'm sure, gave me a hug, and we sat down and talked. Now, what it was all about, I can't even begin to tell you. What he said to me, I don't remember. But I remember the emotion of the moment that I was lost. I didn't know how to do this thing called marriage. I didn't know how to do this thing called mothering, and I didn't know where to go for help. And that was the first real sort of moment of awakening when I realized this was all bigger than I could handle, and I needed something outside of myself to make it work. It was God's bringing me to this place of going, you can't do this on your own. And I think as a husband— Truthfully, I, I think I was clueless that she didn't feel that confidence. Well, of course you were. How could you know? This was an internal battle she was fighting. Yeah. And so when she did come out of the bathroom, I don't think I'd realized that she had actually locked herself in there. No, I'm sure And you had didn't. kind of run away from her responsibilities for a few minutes. I don't think you were in there probably an hour. No, not more than an hour. But the point is, as a husband, at that point, however imperfectly you may love— but just to allow your wife to express the inability and to express her need for something to change, something to be different for her to move forward. And looking back on it, Bob, I think marriage is an opportunity for us to finish the process of growing up. In fact, I think it was Irma Bombeck who used to say, marriage is the last chance God gives us to grow up. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the tools God uses in our lives to take us to the end of ourselves Mm -hmm. and where he kind of puts an exclamation point at the end of the sentence that says, you need me, exclamation point, signed, God. And we try to do so much in our flesh and so much in our own efforts. I just got an email from a friend who had listened to a series that we did about the Holy Spirit. And she'd listened to that series, and she said, the thought of denying my flesh and admitting I couldn't do it had never occurred to me. Hmm. She's been married for more than a year. She'd been married for a lot of years. But she's getting it. 
she's being brought to the end of herself so she can begin to find the beginning of who God is. But, Barbara, you were a Christian. You studied the scriptures. You were <laughs> yeah, in church. Yeah, you were... that's what I thought. <laughs> so what was missing? I think what was missing was a an experiential understanding of my need for Christ. Yes, I knew I needed Christ when I received him. Yes, I knew. Had you asked me an hour before I went into the bathroom and locked the door, do you need Christ? I would have said, of course. But it was it was knowledge more than it was hard experience. And God loved me enough that he wanted me to feel my need for him, for me to experience that I could not do this on my own. And I think God loves us enough that he wants to take it from merely head knowledge to heart knowledge. And it was the process that God was beginning to work in my life where he was showing me, no, you can't do this on your own. Your knowledge of me is not enough. You need to experience a need for the Holy Spirit to control your life, not just know it in your head that, yes, that's the way you're supposed to do it, but you need to be aware of your need for me so you will, in fact, depend on me. Okay, so... You're aware of your need. Now you're going to do something different than you were doing. What's that different thing? How do you? How does somebody come out of the bathroom and say, okay, I realize I need to rely on God. I need the Holy Spirit to work in my life. But what do I do to make that happen? What? How do I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? For me, it was very much an ongoing process. It was a growth that happened over decades. But in that moment, as much as I knew how, in that day of my life, I said, Father, I want to trust you more. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want you to control my life. I want you to give me the power and the strength to live the way that you want me to live, to do this thing called marriage that you've designed. This was your idea in the first place. And so, therefore, you know how to make a marriage work, and I want to depend on you more than I have in the past. And so, I believe that I did. But then there came another point on down the road where God said, okay, now you need to step it up a notch. You need to trust me some more. I was trusting myself again too much, and there was another lesson. And then a few years later, another one. And so I think that just as our children grow up incrementally through the years, they don't go from being a baby to being 18 overnight. Physical growth is a slow process. There are all kinds of little things going on in their bodies as they grow up that we can't even see. But it does take a long time for an infant to become an adult. And I think the journey is similar in our spiritual growth. We start out as spiritual infants, and God gently and slowly works in our lives and our circumstances so that we become mature adults spiritually and don't remain infants. One of the areas where you had to learn to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life was when you decided you wanted to try and do a makeover project on your husband, right? <laughs> yeah, I did this do that. This was extreme makeover. Is that what you were back before that was on TV? You it, were, yeah. it felt that way. <laughs> yeah, it probably did. It, it felt that way. Well, and what what is so sad about this story is that I really thought I was doing the right thing because I was a Christian and I thought, okay, if there are some problems, and there were, if there are some things that I think are not right in our relationship, and there were those things that I thought weren't right, what are you supposed to do about it? You're supposed to pray about it, aren't you? Well, yeah, that makes sense. So I made this list. I began to make a list of all the things that I thought were not right 
primarily were not right about him. Mm-hmm. Not so much things that I thought weren't right about me, because I really didn't think there were that, that many things. That was a small list, mm-hmm. little tiny list. There weren't that many things that needed to be fixed, because as you said, we see life from our own set of lenses, and I thought my way of viewing the world was the right way. And I thought his way of viewing the world needed some modification. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're setting off to try to fix, like uh-huh. what kinds of things were you trying you to know, fix? You know, that's what's sad is I can't even remember what they were, but I'm quite sure it was all personality related because as Dennis said earlier, he would get an idea and process it that fast and he'd be off and running. And he didn't think things through thoroughly like I did. And he was much more spontaneous and spur of the moment. And so I'm sure it was related to these personality differences that I saw early on. And I made this list, and I thought that the right thing to do was to pray about all the stuff that needed to be changed in his life. It was a long list, too. Well, is it, <laughs> it wasn't really that long. <laughs> is, is there something wrong with a wife identifying these are areas that I think God needs to be at work in my husband's life, and I'm going to pray about God doing that work? Mm-hmm, yeah, I think it's probably not a real good approach. Really? Really. Because what happened to me is I had this list of 10 or 12 things. I prayed about them every day. And what happened was is I thought about them all day after I repeated them to God in the morning. I would say, okay, God, here are the things that I think you need to work on in his life. And it was as if they were written in neon block letters on his back. And every time I saw him, I saw what was wrong. Because I was reminding myself every day before God, of course. But nonetheless, I was reminding myself every day of what... I didn't like and what I thought needed to be fixed. And it became a very unpleasant experience. And I decided after doing this for a couple of weeks, I thought, you know, I don't like the way this feels. This is not really a fun way to approach God. It's not fun, the results in my marriage. I just didn't like the fact that I was constantly seeing all these things that I didn't like. Did you have any idea there was neon on your back? Uh, do you know what you were being prayed for? I think I did know about the list. Really? I, I do. And uh, I think I definitely felt it when she threw the list away. That doesn't surprise me. Because yeah. I felt it when I threw the list away, too. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, I've got my friend back hmm. instead of my judge. What prompted you to throw the list away? Uh, I just began to realize that this wasn't fun. I didn't like focusing on everything that I thought was wrong with him. I thought, you know, I didn't used to feel this way. I used to like all these things about him, and now I don't, and I think I just want to quit praying about it. It wasn't this great revelation. I just thought, you know, this isn't fun. I don't like the way this makes me feel. I don't like the flavor in our relationship. And so I I told God specifically one day, and I remember saying this. I said, God, if you want to change these things in his life, it is your business, and I am not going to ask you about this anymore because I don't like what this is doing to our relationship. And if you never change him, that is fine with me. It's your business, not mine, and I'm going to move forward and not pray about all these things that I think need to be corrected anymore. And I tore up the list, and I literally threw it away, and within days, I wasn't thinking about all that stuff anymore. You know, and it was a great relief. There's a common thread here to what she's talking about that I want Barbara to comment because this has been a theme of her life. You're talking about, first of all, coming to the end of yourself, not once, but on multiple occasions where you realize you couldn't do this thing called being a wife. You couldn't do this thing called being a mom. You didn't know who you were at one point about six years into our marriage, and you couldn't change your husband. Mm-hmm. And so it's not you that's going to do any of this. You came to the conclusion that it had to be Christ in you, and you yielded to him. What would you say to 
a wife who's listening, who's going, got me. <laughs> I'm raising my hand saying, that's me you're describing. What's the hope? What's the solution? Not in terms of a formula, but what does she need to begin to practice? Well, I think the bottom line is going to be the same for the rest of your life. And that is when God brings you to a place that you realize you cannot do this thing called marriage. You can't do this thing called mothering. You can't even do the Christian life on your own. That you come to him and you say, I give up. I surrender. I need you. Will you empower me? Will you fill me with your spirit? Will you lead me? Because it really is coming to a point of of giving up. Because what I was doing when I was praying for you is I was trying to take over. I was trying to tell God what I thought he needed to do in your life. And I realized that I needed to give up and I needed to let God do what he wanted to do in his timetable. And I basically, in essence, by saying I'm not going to do this anymore, I surrendered and I said, your will, not mine. You know, just about every time I speak at a weekend to remember marriage getaway, first night I'll say, if you brought your spouse here hoping that together we could get her fixed or get him changed. I have bad news for you. (laughs) I say, I'm not even going to be talking to your spouse this weekend. The only person I came here to talk to is you. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. rather than focusing Mm -hmm. on God change this other person, Mm -hmm. our prayers need to be redirected. Lord, change me. And I I had to chuckle, Barbara, because at the end of this note to your daughters, as you shared this story, you said, more stories about my failures to come. (laughs) Love you, Mom. Really, this collection of of letters that you've written to your daughter are lessons you've learned, Mm -hmm. some of them through not doing it right. Oh, lots of them learned through not doing it right, because I think that's when God gets our attention, when we're sailing along and everything's smooth, that's when we don't think we need God. But when we realize we can't do it and we're making mistakes, then we go, okay, then maybe maybe I need some help. Mm-hmm. And God needs to be my help. And Jesus is that help. He, mm-hmm. If, if the, the story of Easter is true, and it is, Christ is alive from the dead, then he can make this claim. He said in John 15, I am the true vine. Later on in the same passage, he says, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't do it on your own. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you've come to the end of yourself, It's a good thing. It is. And that's what God was trying to show me through this story and many, many other circumstances in my life. He was saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you get it? And I think life— And I said yes. And I think life is one long process of him saying, do you get it yet? Do you get it now? And and one long process of surrender because we, we keep doing it, as you said, over and over again. And I think in addition to the surrender, then there needs to be godly counsel— that uh, helps point us in the right direction to help us correct the patterns that are the the patterns of the flesh that are with us and that point us to new habits that are spiritually informed and spiritually motivated. 
And Barbara, I think you are helping to provide the wise counsel for a lot of wives in what you've shared today and in what you've written in your brand new book, Letters to My Daughters, The Art of Being a Wife. We've got the book in our Family Life Today Resource Center. It's brand new, just now out in stores. And we'd love for you to have a copy. Go to familylifetoday.com or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Ask about the book Letters to My Daughters, The Art of Being a Wife by Barbara Rainey when you get in touch with us. Now, we want to say a quick congratulations and happy anniversary to our friends David and Diana Aguilar, who live in Union, Missouri. Today is their 29th wedding anniversary. The Aguilars listen to KSIV out of St. Louis. They've been married since 1987. We are the proud sponsor of anniversaries here at Family Life. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. But honestly, it's not our anniversary that matters. It's all of the anniversaries that have happened because of how God has used Family Life in the lives of so many couples over the last 40 years. It's been humbling to be a part of that whole process. And if you help support this ministry as a legacy partner or as somebody who gives an occasional donation, you've been a part of the process as well. Your support is what makes Family Life Today possible. We could not exist and could not do what we do if it weren't for friends like you who help make this happen. This month, we are praying and asking God that he would raise up 20 new families in every state where Family Life Today is heard to be new legacy partners joining with us here at Family Life. Would you consider being one of those new legacy partner families? All you have to do is go to familylifetoday.com and click where it says donate. The information about becoming a legacy partner is available there. Or call 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today and say, I'm interested in becoming a legacy partner. And be sure to join us back tomorrow. We're going to continue talking about a wife's responsibility in her marriage. And we'll talk tomorrow about what happens when a wife wants to be a helper, but it starts to go bad. And it can do that. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Hope you can be here. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.